Greetings and welcome to the Quest for Wisdom podcast, where we search for nuggets of wisdom from the lives of some truly amazing people. Today's guest is Rosanna Corbaccio. Rosanna is a clinical and humanistic psychologist who specializes in mental health support for the music industry. Her passion for this led her to found MI Therapy. Her practice focuses on treating addiction, anxiety, depression, and other disorders, as well as personal development for both music creatives and other people in the music industry. Rosanna has been invited to talk and hold workshops at Berkeley University, Primavera Sound, Mutech, ADE, BIME, to name but a few. She leads group therapy sessions for Spotify Equal and collaborates with high-tier UK and US tour managers at the Back Lounge Music Touring and Events Group. She has received the Key Change Inspiration Award by Amazon Music at BIME Bilbao 2022. Rosanna is a human radiating with compassion and kindness. I hope you enjoy our conversation. For more details about Rosanna, check the description of the podcast. Thank you. Hello, hello, and welcome, Rosanna Corbaccio. Carbaccio, Corbaccio? Corbaccio. Corbaccio. To the seventh episode of the Quest for Wisdom podcast. How does that make you feel? Well, I'm very excited, Connor. When I received your, your email, I was like, oh my God, I forgot about this. So it's really, really nice to be here. Yeah. That's amazing. So I, did you see what I did there? A little bit of reverse psychology on the psychologist. How do you feel? Um, <laughs> because you are a human and you are a psychologist specifically for the music industry. Um, are there any other labels you'd like to throw on yourself other than human and psychologist? I like to label myself as funny. Funny, okay. Yeah, I use humor in a way sometimes to just cover some nerves when I have to do some public speaking or when I have to speak in English yeah. in front of everyone and I am the only one who is no native English. <laughs> so I, yeah. Maybe it's a nervous thing. Does this count? Does this count as public speaking? Um, it's quite private. Okay. If a lot of people is just looking through that glass, yeah. <laughs> maybe it will feel a little bit more public. Okay, yeah. but hopefully we can expect some humour from you today. Then um, I just need to make you feel a little bit more nervous, <laughs> um, and then we get some humour from you. Um, but we met three years, no, two and a half years ago, I believe, mm -hmm. at a music event. Um, I think you saw me looking a bit lonely because I was doing the, the ticketing for a friend's music event and you came over and we struck up a conversation and you were telling me about your work as a psychologist in the music industry, specifically for DJs, is it? I don't work only with DJs, but I have a lot of experience working in a, well, in a booking agency. I had plenty of DJs, it's one, I mean, the biggest in Spain. And then my background when I was in London and working at labels and everything else, it has been always with electronic music. But now in my practice, I work with mm, any and every kind of music, mm -hmm. musician, and anyone who works in the music industry. So the only requirement for coming to see me, well, first is that I have a space. Mm -hmm. And then is that you are working in the music industry in anything. So I can see people from classical music or for, from bands. But of course, I feel DJs are a particular field within a specific field. And because I have this experience and years with them, working with them and even touring with some of them, um, I can see the loneliness or the struggles and how... 
well, they have different challenges. We are in the same environment, the music environment, but it'll be different for a classical musician, mm -hmm. what they experience from a, a DJ in, yeah. Areas. What do you think is the main difference? Because I've got a lot of thoughts about this myself, mm -hmm. but what do you think is the main difference? What separates DJs from other musicians? Well, first of all, um, DJs can be DJs without really learning any kind of classical music. So you can start, and usually they start uh, when they are older. So classical musicians, they can start their training and their studying when they are five, six, seven years old and what that has uh, the effect that it has in the brain is that you are already learning mm. a lot and they are labeling you and you are kind of you know practicing what you are going to be when you grow up when you are not even developed as a person so in a sense they are of course very thorough and very structured and very obsessive and perfectionist mm. so some DJs may be perfectionist some may not and then uh, for me, one of the um, hardest things, especially when they are touring in the beginning, when of course they cannot afford to bring someone with them, mm -hmm. is the loneliness. Mm. <clears throat> so the loneliness, if you are playing in an orchestra or in a band, uh, you may be having conflicts with other people, but still that's kind of good for the brain, good for developing, and you have to learn many things and it's very, very challenging. And you can struggle with it as well. Mm -hmm. But if you are just by yourself, you cannot share what you enjoy, but also you're going to share your pain. And also what I have seen, but this, of course, this is just my, my personal opinion. I haven't done any research on the field. Um, they don't have anyone to measure their success with when they are touring. So it's like either I feel I am God <laughs> because mm -hmm. I did a great show and I was close in this huge festival and then you go alone to the hotel room and just stay there with the whole feelings and the coming down from that is kind of hard and it's difficult. So, yeah. But, but when, when you say measure against, do you mean because if you were in a band, there might be three other people and one person might have played really well and one person might have messed up. Do you mean like that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and it's like we are in this together. So imagine if you are kind of after a show, if you are with a team, even with your tour manager or with someone that is traveling with you or with your band, ideally, you can be just joking around or even talking really, oh, that was really terrible and kind of venting about it. So you feel more connected, not so isolated, and you are not kind of boiling in your own emotions, mm. but sharing them and kind of changing the way you feel in a way. So, yeah, it's kind of together we are stronger in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting because there's like two things that spring to mind here, which are like the polar opposites, because it's like what you're saying about the loneliness and the, the not being able to compare mm -hmm. and... On one hand, like I was listening recently to, um, I don't know if you know Scroobius Pip, but he's uh, an English spoken word poet slash musician. Um, and he was talking with uh, Kay Tempest, who's another spoken word who I saw recently. Um, and they were talking about after the show, it, like the emotions are so intense and high that you need a lot of time to process it. But then what usually happens, if you're famous anyway, is then you get invited to a party, people want to congratulate you. Um, 
they want to come up and take photos with you and then you've got these like intense emotions because you've spent an hour and a half or two hours giving everything you could possibly give and then you have no time to re to unwind and then you might start drinking or taking drugs or go out to a party and they say that like it, it starts driving people a bit mental because you need that break and I even find that after these podcasts my head is absolutely just spinning like all the things that have gone wrong and all the things that I wish I'd have said and all the things like that and then what my kind of like unwind thing is I go for a long walk and I listen to peaceful music and just kind of bring myself back down but I think that if I were to jump straight into something else it would be mental and it's just and that's only just one-on-one -on -one talking mm -hmm. it's like imagine if you had 10,000 people screaming your name like it's amazing and then the opposite of that is that I, I watched uh, I really like orchestral music and so I watched Andre Rieu like mm -hmm. one of his concerts the other day in Sao Paulo and um, there must have been like yeah like 10,000 people there but they have an orchestra of like I don't know 50 people and they travel all around the world together and I was thinking like number one how do you organize getting 50 people like booking a hotel for 50 people making 50 people get along practicing practicing or like mm -hmm. rehearsing with 50 people or more and then getting like guest singers and I was just like they're two totally different things and they obviously have their own struggles like you've mentioned one is loneliness and one is the fact that the opposite of loneliness like mm -hmm. being overwhelmed by other people but I find it so interesting who do you think it's more interesting to work with oh, I like them all <laughs> <laughs> well I have to say first uh, if you feel any kind of uh, rumination after this podcast we can even talk <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> we can share it and yeah I'm with you um when you are, I mean, depending on what you are going through, because sometimes we have the tendency to think, um, okay, you just see a show from mm -hmm. the public and you are like, wow, that's amazing. My thing always has, be, has been, how is that person feeling right now? That was kind of my, what triggered all my studies and everything else. Interesting uh, for me is even the tour managers as well. What are they feeling? when they are working with these people who is the pressure so for me it's not just what you see like the final product but the humans that are making that happen so um, something that i really like from working with not only musicians but with people from the music industry is that i get to see every side mm -hmm. every side so i'm working with a singer and then i'm working with a producer and they are telling me about their experience when they go together in the studio. Mm -hmm. They don't know each other. They live in different countries. But just seeing how they are feeling when there is a communica communication or misunderstanding or what happens when the singer is not saying anything, any opinions. And then when the producer is kind of, you know, sharing all the name dropping thing. I have been working with so-and-so mm -hmm. just to make things easy or to feel safe or whatever. But that's kind of triggering the other person on the other side. So it's really cool to see every piece of the puzzle. Mm. And um, for me, also something that I really like from working with managers mm -hmm. <laughs> is to see the dynamics between the artist and the manager, like in the classical orchestras. So um, it's not just what you are feeling, what that person is feeling. So it's more often people start by talking about other people's lives and struggles and everything else. So with a manager, maybe I will have like five or six first sessions mm -hmm. 
well into the sixth session. And they are just telling me about each artist's life and struggles. Right. And I'm like, uh, okay, but you are telling me that and you are really, you seem really tense. How are you feeling? Mm -hmm. And they cannot name one emotion within themselves. That's really interesting. So they basically absorb the emotions of the people that they are managing. Yes. It's like if they are okay, I am okay. Mm. <laughs> but of course, that has a name and, and it's codependency. <laughs> because yeah. when you are trying to change your own emotions by controlling or helping or sorting out other people's lives, then that's kind of, it's really a type of slavery and it's never enough and it doesn't help the other people because it doesn't let them take responsibility for their actions and their lives. So um, it's good to always just go back to what are you feeling? What is your experience? What is your take on all this? Okay, your artist or your orchestra uh, partner, whatever, they are doing or feeling or having a tantrum in the middle of a show, but who is that making you feel? Because that's the main thing, always. Yeah, it's such a, such a simple point that's just overlooked. How does that make you feel? But that's really, really, you've put that so well with the, with the role of managing. Um, because I suppose that ideally, we need to separate our emotions from other people's emotions. And obviously, if you're a manager, you want those people to be doing well and you want those people to be okay. But ultimately, their life is not your responsibility. Mm -hmm. Their career at that point partly is your responsibility, but their life is not. But I, speak, I, I suppose that the boundary between those two things mm -hmm. gets merged a lot. And I suppose that if you're a particularly empathic person, then the chances of you meeting that, the chances of you entering into codependency with that person, unless you are really solid and stable in your own identity, the chances of you like being able to healthily manage that are probably quite low. Mm -hmm. um, but I know a manager of like a high level manager of um, music artists um, and I won't name them to make it way too obvious, but um, <laughs> And I think that's definitely what he experiences because he's always in turmoil and he's always could like his life. He hasn't sorted his life out yet. And he tries to kind of live his life through other people's life. And it's it's not a healthy balance. And it's often the people that you work with, unfortunately, like really creative, amazing people, as you know, are often very troubled. Because I mm. think that creativity often goes hand in hand with, like, instability, basically. Mm. Um, do you think that's true? I think that's a myth. You think it's a myth? <laughs> that is really dangerous for artists. So, but there's part, part of truth in that, of course. Because sometimes if, if you have a messy life, let's say, and the only thing that you feel connected with or helps you feel like you have a sense is music mm. maybe that's something that you are good at and you are focusing in that but you are not stable yourself in everything else or you are you don't do self-care or you don't really listen to your body boundaries and then you go into music and everything is like oh 
this is the perfect place for that. Mm. <laughs> so just like um, changing your, your sleeping rhythms and everything else. So I think people who um, are troubled, they are called to this kind of world mm -hmm. because, of course, everything is mixed together. There is a lot of passion. Um, there is also an option for feeling intense feelings mm -hmm. all the time. And then I don't think you have to be a superstar and trouble. And that doesn't go well together. It's not just some people, of course, when you get to the top, if you haven't had that way, that path from the beginning or at mm -hmm. some point of taking care of yourself or caring for something else apart from your job, for me, that's one of the keys. Um, then when you get there, of course, everything is going to be messy because it's just putting together all the coping mechanisms that are not very healthy. And the trouble is not just I am suffering because I was born this way, but it's I am struggling with something and then I am put into an environment that is kind of, it has a lot of pressure and no boundaries. I yeah I totally get what you're saying mm. um and I yeah I've often thought about it before whether is it troubles that makes people creative or <clears throat> is it creativity that, that that can then often lead people towards um troubles which can often come in the form of drugs and alcohol in an early age but as far as I and well mm. my thoughts were that creativity is linked to the personality trait openness and openness is linked to neuroticism mm -hmm. and so i thought that then it's kind of like a, a trinity of openness creativity and neuroticism that are strongly linked which is why i thought that because as a, as if the more open you are the more open you are to positive emotion and the more open you are to negative emotion the more open you are to new experiences um which i think can obviously lead to creativity but then would also lead to the chance of if you're really open, you're more likely to experiment with drugs, for example, mm -hmm. um, whereas a less open person is much less likely to do that. And a less open person is much more likely to be stable mm -hmm. because they're much more likely to focus on order mm -hmm. and structure and balance. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I kind of put that link between the three of them. But then it's also, I think that in, in terms of the people that I meet, often the most brilliant ones are the ones that have had the hardest lives um, or like really horrible stuff happened to them. And I think that that probably is because one of the only ways of, for those people to get out of it is to do something creative because it actually does like it's so therapeutic for certain people. Mm -hmm. And you see that a lot in the spoken word scene that the, some of the best people have had the worst things happen to them. Mm -hmm. And they're like, the intensity, like you mentioned, the intensity and the passion comes out in it. Um, but it's an amazing thing to see. Um, and I was actually talking about it recently with, um, on another podcast with one of, um, I can't remember who it was, but we were saying about how, what you mentioned about moving up the ladder slowly, basically, like you mentioned, like a classical musician who starts off, they put in loads of training for years and years and years, then they get better and better and better and better. Eventually they're playing at a high level in an orchestra or something. Whereas you can get a DJ now who posts a mix on YouTube and within like six months is like got a million views or something. And I, we were talking about how it's absolutely mental how quickly people can become famous now. 
like in the past before the internet it would have been way slower mm -hmm. you know way slower to have your name on paper you know so everyone to see you and i went to see recently mark rebile do you know him mm -hmm. um and he basically became famous over covid just making mixes in his bedroom and now he's playing on stage like a massive stage in barcelona and that's come in the past like two years or less and that fame so quickly must mess you up like it'd be unless you were such a solid strong like sense of identity and self which most people don't if they're in their 20s or even 30s like it must drive you absolutely mental what do you think about that definitely what a great point i just want to comment on everything you said <laughs> um on one side i just want to recall the creativity and the struggles um you have a point with the kind of the openness to the emotions and kind of the stability but we have to be careful with um labeling those kind of elements as good or bad yeah because on one side you can be open to the new experiences but if you are scared of the emotions Mm. your tendency is going to be to max, mask them or stop them or avoid them. And that's where the issues may start. So um, through that, I mean, from the kind of the 27 club and all, all that, people who really struggle and die by suicide, usually they are not just stars. It's just they have some traumatic experiences or another symptoms from childhood. Usually this mm -hmm. is what the, the correlation and the papers shows. And then at the same time, uh, we can, I mean, you can be super famous from one day to the next in the DJ world, of course. And how do you handle that if you don't have that identity? And it's not just the identity, but for me, that's the key as well, the main thing. But also, what if you have stage fright? <laughs> yeah. And suddenly you are just like making tunes in your room and you feel safe. You are in your pajamas and then you go and play in front of everyone. Uh, when I have to um, go and teach in, I don't know, whatever, Berkeley or with, uh, when I'm working with students and I tell them, you have to be really aware of what is going on within yourself. Mm. Because sometimes you think, I just want to be there playing at that show, closing that festival. But that is not always enjoyable. Yeah. So you may be enjoying, but you may be not because there are so many things that can go wrong. So being put in that position um, is not just, wow, it's amazing all the time, but it comes with a lot of pressure. And one of the elements that I see the most, and it's not very mm, shared, I don't think, is when people reach that point, when being famous or being huge or closing festivals or being touring the world, working with what whoever they dream about when they were little and then they are not enjoying mm. they feel guilty yeah they feel so guilty and they just hate to feel that way they start thinking about it why am i not enjoying this i gave up so much in my life to be here i thought this was the answer to everything in life i made it and this is not what i thought and yeah. I'm not enjoying and I feel pressure and I hate waking up uh, early for taking flights or being at airports all the time. I feel tired. 
oh, I don't have any friends because I'm mm. just on the on the road or no one really cares about me, really. It's just, where are you playing next? Who are you playing with? And they are bored of it. Yeah, it's, uh, that's such a, that's such an interesting point. Mm. And it's like, it's it, it stems even further down the chain. So for example, like, uh, on, a, on a similar level would be someone who's just become very wealthy doing anything mm -hmm. become very wealthy and they're not happy and they're like well i've got millions of pounds mm -hmm. you know i should be so happy because loads of people don't have any money or anything mm -hmm. and they feel so guilty and then it goes even further down the chain like i've felt massively guilty at myself before when i'm there complaining about my life and then you walk out on the street in Raval and you mm -hmm. see someone with like one leg who's mm -hmm. on the floor begging and they've got no money and they're like on the verge of death and i'm like mm. i'm here feeling sorry for myself about some stupid thing and this person's nearly dying mm. and then it makes you feel guilty for that and it, it's 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 crazy but it's mm. so it's even must be even more crazy when someone's famous because mm. like you say no one cares about them they just want to see the the like person the show the mm. thing and it's mental like i always thought about what it would be like like you know if you're world famous you know uh michael jackson freddie mercury something like that you can't do anything you can't go anywhere um without people screaming your name and i always thought it was i never experienced this myself but when people get obsessed with um you know like a, a famous person they have posters on their wall and they love that person and then you see you see them, they'll, they'll see that person, they start crying because they've seen that person. And it's like, imagine being on the reverse side of that and having people crying when they see you and like, mm. you know, breaking down in tears and going mental just because they've seen you. And it's like, how do you deal with that as a person? Like, it's, it's absolutely crazy. I think you just feel disconnected. Yeah. You just feel disconnected from people. And that's where the isolation comes in. Because you are feeling guilty. You cannot complain to your friends because you are like, you know, the richest amongst them. And they always envy your life. There is no one that you can really talk to in this mm -hmm. way because you are going to feel judged. Yeah. Even you probably you won't even share it because you're worried that you are going to be judged. And then people see you and they are putting you in a pedestal and you start doing things that seem cool from the outside. But I promise, if you have dinner with different promoters by yourself every weekend in three different countries mm -hmm. for a year, you don't want to go to a restaurant anymore. Yeah. You don't want to see people who really like your music anymore. It's like, yeah, that's cool. This is what I do for a living. But then you cannot be, be vulnerable with people. And then at the bottom of that, from all that happiness, um, happiness, if you are not really wise and you are not connected with your own emotions, you start looking happiness in different areas that mm -hmm. may be not very healthy. So if you are like that kind of famous, famous, that you cannot go anywhere and you are known in every country, imagine how that must feel like if you have a family yeah. and you have children and you cannot go to a restaurant. And I mean, I think they have the right to be angry <laughs> yeah. and to complain and to feel everything because as humans, we have the right to feel whatever we feel. Mm. Yeah. And of course, 
we have respect and we are living in society, so you are not going to be punching people on the street because you feel something. But yeah, I feel what helps is having just compassion mm -hmm. and not judging, not for the good, no, oh, this must be amazing, this is the life I want to get, but more about, well, that's a human being like supporting a lot of stress that is working super hard. And we don't know if they have free time, if they can go to their friends' weddings because they are always playing on the weekends mm -hmm. and how long they are far away from the family. So how do they feel when they are in a plane? So um, I think everything that takes us away from being humans and put us in the kind of being a product is dangerous. Yeah. And it's not very fun. It nah. doesn't matter if you are the most expensive product in the world, you still, you know, have the lack of human connection. And having a purpose in life is not having a goal, but it's a feeling that you have, your life has a sense mm -hmm. and that you are connected and you are something, you are doing something good and you feel seen within yourself, not seen in what you do for a living. What you do for a living can be super cool or not. But it's important to have someone or some people around you that really care about who are you, really. Yeah. And what are you feeling? Yeah, and I, I always thought about that as well, that, like, once you get, like, the more wealthy you get, the more important you get, um, the more fake people you have around you who want things from you. Um, and then how do you know who's your real friends? How do you know who's going to, like... I would be suspicious of everyone I met because if 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 you're someone who can provide, you know, contacts or money and it, it's I know it's a much like that in in the music industry everybody's just trying to be everyone's best friend so that they can get new contacts and um but if 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 that's all your interactions where are your true friends, you know, the people that have been there maybe from the beginning but those mm -hmm. people you probably don't ever see because you're traveling around all the time. Definitely. And you know, it's that's what it's, it's lonely at the top, I suppose. And I always feel like I I try my hardest because obviously we get these natural judgments of everyone. Everyone we see, we just judge. And I try to like separate that and always think about that person and play devil's advocate and be okay. You know, their life almost definitely isn't as great as it looks. Um, like, what is that person really feeling? And it's even the same with the wealthier people get. It seems to be the more people hate them. You know, and like when you get up to the level of billionaires, they go around and a lot of them, yeah, they make a lot of money, but they also, the, like the ones I can think of, they spend a lot of time trying to do good things. You know, like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where they try to, you know, provide water in Africa. They try to cure malaria. They try to do these things. And yeah, I'm sure they make loads of mistakes on the way, but they try mm -hmm. to do it. And they're just 50% of the world hates them basically because they're rich um and then you get all these billionaires that go to these meetings together and then there's all conspiracies about the meetings and you know sometimes <laughs> maybe they're true maybe they're not and then they go to these islands together and obviously epstein's island's a bit different but they go to these places because they're the only places they can go and be themselves around other billionaires and drive their cars and stuff because if they drive their cars around the streets everyone just thinks they're an arsehole <laughs> and it's like, so they have to go to these places and they basically can only really hang around with other billionaires because <laughs> everyone else is just going to think they're an arsehole just for being rich. And 
some of them I'm sure are total assholes, but then not all of them are the same with everything. And some people, you know, if you've started and you've just built up companies and made loads and loads of money, then fine. You know, some people are born into loads of money and mm -hmm. maybe they don't like deserve that money if that's really a thing. But it's like, it's so, so hard just to be hated because to be hated because you've actually been successful really and it's like the sort of the reverse of of the the music industry where they're just absolutely loved but it's also whenever you see like the amy winehouse documentary or well film i suppose um is it doc yeah documentary and then you see like uh the film about freddie mercury and the film about elton john um and elvis and they give everything to other people their whole life is pleasing other people and they have absolutely zero time for themselves because their managers or whoever's like controlling them is basically just stripping as much of them as possible and taking as much of their money as possible and it's like these poor people just live their lives at, like you said as a slave mm -hmm. a slave for us <laughs> they are slaves to each other because the manager with the artist and all the way around yes I mean, I, I I have no awareness of any kind of billionaire's uh, island, I have to say. I was thinking, oh, my God, I'm so disconnected. <laughs> There's um, a few. They should go to my hometown in Extremadura. No one will ever talk to them. <laughs> they don't speak English. It's in the middle of nowhere. We don't even have a train. So they can be free there. <laughs> nice. It's a little bit hot in the summer, I have to say. But, yeah, yeah. Well... I saw, a, I saw a thing, actually, and if I ever have some extra money when I'm older, um, when I say extra money, I mean a lot of extra money, um, <laughs> I saw some things where in Spain and Italy and probably lots of other places, you can buy, like, um, old villages, really, really, like a whole village, mm -hmm. but the, the catch is that you have to renovate the thing yeah. within, like, a certain amount of time, so yeah. they'll sell you a whole village for, like, hundred thousand euros or something and then you have to spend the next few years renovating it yeah and i was like that'd be so cool in the middle of nowhere or on a mountain somewhere in spain just like having this really old-fashioned village and they think that what's going to happen with a lot of them is that tech entrepreneurs are going to come in and you know buy someone will develop it and then these like old spanish villages will turn into like tech hubs which is so weird <laughs> places that have like donkeys walking around and stuff google pueblo <laughs> yeah google pueblo um which i think would be so cool but yeah there are billionaire islands epstein's island was where they did loads of like pedophile things um but then there are other i like some of the billionaires richard branson who owns virgin i think he's got some islands um and then yeah there's some other billionaires who've got islands but they go to these like festivals or mansions together and they probably do weird stuff but like so what but that's that's another thing that and then what because when you are getting to some point like stars like if, if you are not feeling anything mm -hmm. and i always uh, share this example of course i cannot mm, give many details but i have had many people coming to my practice and just saying okay i met all my goals Mm -hmm. All the ones that I was setting for, like, and for the future, and the higher I get, the less I feel. I don't feel anything. I um, the kind of the, the the feeling of being proud or super happy, it lasts very very short time, mm. and it's not because ah yeah I'm over everything. It's not 
kind of um it's not showing up it's it's a kind of disconnection from your uh, from the limbic area in mm -hmm. the brain because we are so focused in the prefrontal cortex which is the one that has to do with the goals and what is outside yourself and the plans that we start that's like the prefront is that's like the rational part isn't yes. it like the logic and yeah. rational and like yeah. <laughs> and the future and the planning and the kind of uh, yeah structure the self-talk everything is kind of around there of course everything's everywhere in the brain but then the limbic area is what we feel um is more connected with the body it's kind of you feel it in your gut let's say and creativity is there Ah. So um, yesterday when we had the Q&A, we were talking a little bit about creativity. And um, when you go into the studio and you try to make something, if you are thinking, what is this going to be for <laughs> in the middle of the creative process, you are going to maybe not enjoy it very much and even can be the beginning of a creativity block. So you're saying that, um, wait, I just need to check. You're saying that if you actually think, um, if you, th if you go to do something creative and you try and logically think of the outcome, yes, that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. It's super oh, bad thing. I do that with every single thing I ever do. Because some um, people, when they, when maybe that happens to you, when I am not being productive today. Yes. That's yes. the story of my life. Productive is prefrontal cortex. Okay. <laughs> so, um. Being productive is kind of when you are mastering the track already or sending it to your label or doing something that has to do with the planning and the structure and the organization. But if you scan the brain when you are creating, mm -hmm. the part that gets active is the one, the same one that we have when we are meditating or dreaming. Mm. So it's kind of inwards, inwards. And in order to make that space and that connection, every time you name a feeling or you connect with that feeling, that's good because you are training the brain to connect with that part. Yeah. And also when you allow, when you allow to yourself to just play, to just have fun, to kind of, this is my space. I don't want to show this to anyone. I will see if anything good comes from this. But then that will be the next step. The first step, this is for myself. I'm not going to show it to anyone. I like it. I'm having fun or not. I'm experimenting. I am kind of, yeah, not following the normal steps even. Yeah. Using some instruments or some tracks or some sounds that you will never use. Maybe you're not going to use it in the end, but that will spark your brain. Yeah. Okay. So that is, because I, I was starting to get the inclination that feel like I were, I've been using like a cheat method to make myself do things. And it's exactly what you've mentioned. I started to get the inclination that probably this isn't the right way to do it because whenever you listen to meditation, mindfulness, anything like that, it's like, just experience, just be, mm -hmm. just be, you know, enjoy the present moment. Don't be thinking about the, the future or, or what this is going to give you, but to motivate myself, you know, like, to even to go out and socialize like i have to say okay i'm gonna go socialize mm -hmm. and i'm gonna try and meet some people and make some connections and otherwise it's like should i go for socialize i'm like no <laughs> and it's like or should i go to an event and i'm like mm, no um but it's like so then if i think to myself okay 
you know, I'll go out and I won't necessarily think maybe I'll meet some people for my podcast or something, but there, there'll always be that, these, these big goals that I've got, mm. of which there are so many. Um, <laughs> but I know that everything that I try to do, every, I try to make sure that everything I do is thought out. Mm. So everything I do has a purpose. Mm. And I think that, that what you're saying is that's not good because you should just do things just for the sake. But then I suppose I do also try and just go with the flow and oh. just like if something feels right, do it straight away without really thinking. So I suppose there is some balance, but I don't know. What I notice is that as I've I stopped drinking caffeine for like two and a half years and now until I start <laughs> and then, no, until until recently. And now I've been like in and out experimenting mm-hmm. with it and seeing the the effects that it has and caffeine, I imagine, is stimulating your prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. a lot because that's what caffeine does makes you focus makes you productive mm-hmm. um until you take have too much and then it just makes you tired and moody anxious. Or an- mm-hmm. anxious um but another thing i was thinking of when you said about the, the limbic system being feelings and it brought me to thinking about meditation and you know one form of meditation is just um, focusing on your breathing or observing your thoughts and not letting them kind of um, materialize, just knowing they're there, but just separating them. But then when you said that, it made me think, okay, but focusing on your thoughts, that would still be training your prefrontal cortex, wouldn't it? And mm-hmm. the, the, the type of meditation I prefer is um, body scan meditation, mm-hmm. yoga nidra. And that for me is much easier but I find it much more beneficial. But now you're saying that that, I am, well, I, from what you're saying, it sounds like that'll be training the limbic system because you're focusing on your feelings and you're mm-hmm. focusing on your body. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? There is an amazing podcast that talks about the benefits of each kind of meditation. Um, yeah, I won't say, I mean, I will tell you later, but um, I feel... Well, you can plug it if you want, I think. I mean, the Huberman lab. Yeah, yeah, I listen to Huberman, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am, I am, I, am, I love him. He's, he's so good. He's gr- groupy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just his groupy. I don't, yeah, it's so good. So he did recently uh, one about, well, a couple about meditation. Mm-hmm. So any kind of meditation is going to be good for connecting with your emotions as well. So it doesn't really matter what type um, you use. Um, anything that you do that is going to help you seeing where are you focus on mm. yeah so the kind of increasing the awareness any kind of meditation is going to do that so when i am guiding meditations um often i don't ask people to focus in their breath because many people have anxiety mm-hmm. so for some people that may be super activating and triggering to focus in how oh, am i breathing yeah and I, I get scared. i hated that when i first did it yeah and then you get more anxious mm. and then it's like well meditation doesn't work for me and you give up so training the the attention is not giving more power to your prefrontal cortex it's just allowing the prefrontal cortex in a way this is very simplistic but for the sake of explanation to just go to where am i now mm-hmm. If I'm thinking or planning, that's not bad, but it's just to be aware that I'm thinking, I'm planning, I'm in the future. And that's okay. 
but maybe it's not the right time for going to the studio. It's the right time for doing my emails. Yeah. Or I'm talking to myself really badly today. Just to be aware, to catch yourself mm. talking to you yourself in a really bad way. Okay. Then maybe you can be kinder. And that's mm -hmm. going to be an emotion and something deeper. And then, oh, I feel really agitated. What emotion am I feeling? That's going to help you, I think, with meditation, anything that you do. Or I have tension in some part of my body. Body scan is, is amazing. It's, for me, one of the best tools ever. So, yeah, I really encourage everyone to try it, to try any kind of meditation, whatever feels nicer, easier, and kind of you feel the call to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was the thing that I um pretty much everyone I speak to says, Oh, I tried meditation, couldn't do it, hate it. And I'm like, Yeah, I totally understand. I tried it for like a year and a half, hated every second of it. And then from Huberman I got onto <laughs> no, I think I did some body scan before that and I enjoyed it. I can't remember where I found that, but then I got onto he spoke about Yoga Nidra. And I started doing it in the mornings and the afternoons. And because that is lying down mm -hmm. and the idea is just to rest. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that, that suits me well. <laughs> and like I got some, I started getting some, again, I, I don't like to use the word results because yeah. it's meditation. You're not supposed then to get <laughs> results, but like they are results for me. Because it's like when you feel some sort of altered state mm -hmm. of consciousness and you feel relaxed, and I was like, oh, my God, thank you. After like one and a half years of like feeling and just got felt like I got one benefit from it. And obviously, I'm sure it was like doing some sort of benefits in the background. But then it's like you say, trying to focus on your breath and that's making you anxious. Is that helping you? Probably not. Um, so that's probably what I was doing, just making myself more anxious. Um, but it's I don't know. Meditation is one of those things that it's like it's a bit like exercise, I suppose. But I find it easy Mm -hmm. to make myself do exercise because that's much more instant rewards mm. um again talking about rewards um but um like meditation is one of those things where it's like lie down there for 10 minutes and you try and, and that sounds so easy and you do it and you're like oh this is so hard and <laughs> that's so precisely <laughs> that's precisely the benefit of it i feel yeah uh, kind of um even in these times we live in being able to just sit and be mm -hmm. is the most revolutionary thing you can do. And it really connects you with, I don't need anything else. Yeah. So if you are touring or if you are having a bad day at the studio or if you had a fight with your manager or with your partner or whatever, being able to just be with yourself. Mm-hmm. And then decide how you want to respond. So meditation gives you more space for responding instead of reacting to the environment. Um, having that, that space for yourself, of course, there is kind of, I am bored. I don't know what I'm doing this for. I should be doing emails and, and all that. But when you really find when when it's good for you and what do you enjoy about that? Um it's kind of the best part of the day. Mm. The best part of the day. And if you have some pain in, in some part of your body and you scan it <laughs> when you are doing meditation, the way it changes is magical. And well, there has been recent studies on how um, meditation has 
a kind of a similar effect to antidepressants. Yeah, 100%, I can imagine. Uh, but it doesn't have any secondary effect. Mm. So why not try it? Why not try it? So, yeah, I I hope people really try meditation. It's, yeah. It's good. It's, it is so good. I think that I think that the struggle with meditation is that it's like just if, if your whole life is chaos and maybe you're drinking too much caffeine and everything mm -hmm. else is really crazy and you try meditation, it's going to be not really do very much. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what puts people off because mm -hmm. it's like when the, you start noticing the results when you change lots of things in your mm -hmm. life. And it's good, obviously, to 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 start whatever you can but you know you need to be kind of getting your sleep in order your diet in order your caffeine consumption in order like even now i was doing 20 minutes well yeah about 20 minutes of yoga nidra at four o'clock each day um four and four o'clock in the afternoon oh, okay <laughs> um, because i'd read or heard i read or heard in, in a few places that four o'clock in the morning and four o'clock in the afternoon um maybe you'll be able to tell me this because I can't remember it, but it's it's a time in the day when the yogic, yogic tradition says that we're closer to nature. And I think that that, because I was looking at the science behind that, and I think it might be that your limbic system calms down or your prefrontal cortex calms down. Something calms mm -hmm. down at those times, around those times for people, um, which allows us to relax, basically, mm -hmm. um, and get closer to nature with mm -hmm. meditation. And it's something that I really noticed that when I meditate at four in the afternoon, I never do it four in the morning, but <laughs> four in the afternoon, I noticed that the effects are mm -hmm. way stronger. And for me, I get naturally tired at four o'clock. Mm -hmm. But now that I've been drinking caffeine for the past six weeks, I don't get tired. Mm -hmm. And then I forget to do it because I'm busy doing stuff. Mm -hmm. And then when I do try and do it, my mind is too active and it's really difficult to get any sort of relaxation involved. But like, it just kind of alerted me to the the effect that caffeine has on you, and it's very clear. But it, it alerted me to I'm much more unable to relax. And then when I was younger, up until I kind of stopped taking drugs and drinking and everything, I was I hated being still or being quiet or sat there. I hated going to bed so much. I used to put it off as long as possible because I would lie there. And I'd just be, my, my brain would just be firing so fast I couldn't follow anything that's going on. And I would just be lying there awake, the, the thoughts just flying around my head. And I absolutely hated it. So I, I think that then if I'd have tried to do meditation, I probably would have been scarred for life. Because it'd be like, lie there and sit and be still. And I'd just be like, impossible. <laughs> it's not mm. possible. Then when you start sleeping and doing, being healthier, then you can start noticing really nice effects. And I remember when I first started meditating at four and then waking up afterwards and feeling amazing. And then Huberman told that um, it replenishes your dopamine. And then, because I was, before I knew that, I was noticing that I would meditate at four, well, yoga nidra at four for like 20 minutes. Um, and then, you know, you take about 10, 15 minutes to readjust after that when you wake up. And then after that, I'd go back to my computer and be able to like 
do a load of extra stuff it'd be like a second wave in the day then i found out it replenishes your dopamine i'm like it's amazing and i'm like i don't <laughs> need a cup like... of coffee in the afternoon i was like i need to go and do some more meditation that's why we love huberman <laughs> that's why we love huberman thank yeah. you thank mr you. andrew huberman thank you, thank you, you are the best um, um and it also well it makes a lot of sense uh because it's siesta time yeah it's siesta time in south spain well it's kind of 45 degrees outside so it's kind of you better get into the darkness mm. because otherwise you're not gonna survive but um meditation is not for relaxing yeah it's, the goal is not to feel relaxed yeah it's to be present mm -hmm. and sometimes you feel relaxed by being present and sometimes you feel awake mm -hmm. and that's okay and even if you feel sleepy it's part of meditation so um, no seeking uh, a state, that's also good. So even when you, all the spinning thoughts, I always say this is like a hamster in a wheel. Mm -hmm. And you can be carried away with the thoughts and just punish yourself for being having a lot of thoughts. But then, uh, and I was saying this in ADE, in a festival in, in Amsterdam to some, some person from the industry, if you have many thoughts, it's kind of having balloons mm -hmm. in your head, uh, helium balloons, all of them. And sometimes we worry and we just worry about the size and about if we want to push them or control them. And we are so busy and it's kind of overwhelming sometimes. But it's good to just go and see, okay, imagine if all those balloons were tied down to a little stone in the middle of your chest. But that's the emotion that you are feeling. <laughs> because that's just one element, one emotion. When we are scared about something, for example, if we feel super anxious uh, and you ask, what are you scared about? And they are, I'm scared about this and that and that. And that. You can, we can be scared about everything. But then what is the emotion? I feel fear. Mm -hmm. And it's just one. Okay. How is the fear in your <laughs> chest? What size has, what do you need? Do you need me to be here, present with you, next to you? I'm going to stay here. You can talk to me. I'm going to be here. How does it change in your body, the fear, when you talk about it? When yeah. you expose yourself to the emotion? And how does it change the size, the color, the sensation in your body? And we are not in the thoughts anymore. The prefrontal cortex is connected with the emotion it's kind of linking into the limbic area and saying okay there is fear there and that's okay without judging and exploring being curious about it and that's what you practice with meditation as well mm. those skills and tools yeah yeah it's so it's so it's so it the the best things in life i think are often the simplest mm -hmm. you know and it's like if you want to be healthy you can basically sleep well, exercise a bit, and meditate. And that is the foundation for being pretty healthy. Obviously, you need to sort out other things in your life. Mm -hmm. But really, you need to do those three things. And relationships. And relationships. And um, relationships. Wait, I'm going to tell these people out here to just let them know where. Yeah.
Sorry for that bit of technical. It's okay. We um, are being humans. <laughs> we are being humans. Um, yeah, relationships. How important are relationships in life for people? We die if we don't have them. We die if we don't have them. We are um, basically, well, there is this, this experiment that they did in the 60s, I think. Um, it was with little monkeys. I cried when I saw the the experiment. Um, so they wanted to test what is what is love mm-hmm. in monkeys. No, before they did the study, the theory was okay. We connect with people because we need things from them. Yeah, in a way. So uh, you love your mom because in, she fits you, and that's kind of the the beginning of of everything. And it's kind of in this interest, kind of survival, but kind of with something in between, the milk. So they um, they put the little monkeys in, in some cages and they had two options, the little monkeys. There was there was one where they would get milk, mm-hmm. but the mom monkey was made of wire. So it was just wire and milk. And then the, there was the other one who had, it's like a soft, fabric the kind of fairy and the monkeys would spend most of the day just with the one that was kind of contact instead of the milk Mm. and if they were scared they wouldn't even go for the milk they would stay with the mom that just gave them comfort and there was a second part of the study that was even worse but (laughs) i won't share it because i may cry (laughs) yeah so um, yeah, that just goes to show, doesn't it? Yes, and I mean, I feel so touched uh, when I meet people in a busy environment where everyone is uh, doing super cool stuff and super, super busy. And I remember last year or the year before, I was in a festival uh, in Hamburg mm-hmm. and they introduced me to this amazing woman who is the CEO of a big company in the States. And well, my friend was like, you have to meet each other. You are going to really like each other. And when I was working, walking towards the, the meeting, I was just thinking, oh my God, this woman, she's, she's, you know, she's super important, super busy. And when I sat with her, I was like, so you have been here for a week? And she said, yes. You have been meeting people every half an hour for a week. Uh, how are you feeling? How are you? And then she did like, actually, I am tired. Yeah. And then we started talking and she shared about her family. And I was telling her what I do for a living and what's my passion and how I like psychology. And and then, well, we, we ended up working together. She called me. She wanted me to do the kind of the um, mental health awareness month in her company. And everything started just with the human part. And it's really cool to be working with a big company. But mm-hmm. to be honest, for me, the main thing, apart from going to New York, because that was super mm-hmm. fun, <laughs> but it's the people I met mm-hmm. in that context with that. This is the way we connect more with people. And if you feel disconnected, you can be superstar, CEO, or whatever, but you feel disconnected from other people. That's not really fun or enjoyable. We, be, we are more tired. Uh, we even, when, when we don't have like, meaningful relationships that can be really dangerous when we have an underlying problem anxiety depression or or whatever so 
Um, it's good to just check what are my meaningful relationships. And if we don't have many physical near us, it's important to just be open, to be nice to people. Mm -hmm. Because, well, actually, last year I did this kind of loneliness tips, not for loneliness, but mm. <laughs> but for loneliness. Um, and it's just about, if you're on the street, just smile or be nice. Um, help people. When we help people, we... Um, well, apart from, from everything that we feel in the brain, all the neurotransmitters changing and kind of bubbling, um, we start having more a sense of purpose. It's not so much about having opportunities, but it's more about, are you okay? Do you need anything? Can I get you a coffee? <laughs> mm. Are you feeling right? Uh, I noticed you seem tense today. That kind of thing, that... Being there, being open to the connection is already going to help everyone to, to just, well, be healthier, enjoy more life and, and feel more balanced. Yeah. It's kind of having roots, mm. being trees and we have roots and the roots are connected and then, you know, everything is going to stay, the kind of the foundation for it. So if the rain, if, if it's raining, it's going to stay longer, if the ground is going to be richer. So, yeah, we're all connected. Yeah, I love that. <clears throat> and I love that analogy of the the tree and the roots. And it makes me think even more than tree and roots, makes me think of mycelium and the mycelium network, which connects mm -hmm. basically everything under the ground. Wow, that documentary. Um, so cool. <laughs> um, and then last night I was just thinking and... Um, I was wondering because we were watching this thing about these twins, no triplets, sorry, that is a documentary on Netflix. I haven't finished it yet, but it's basically about these triplets that were separated at birth. Um, in like the 60s and 70s, loads of twins and triplets were separated at birth really? in America oh my God. Um, and then studied without them knowing. Um, and then these triplets found out that they'd been separated, that they found out by accident. Um, and then it kept, like started unraveling and then all these other people started realizing that they'd all been separated at birth. Um, and there's a few points there, but the, the thing that made me think last night was I was wondering is our, cause I've been thinking a lot about consciousness and I'm like, is consciousness something that's within our DNA? Um, is it something that's within our genes? And I was, then I was thinking last night, and this is a bit like sci-fi, but I was like, I was wondering, can our DNA and genes communicate with other DNA and genes in a similar way to mycelium? And obviously, any scientist listening will be like, no, Connor, that's stupid. But maybe, maybe, because these, what these twins experienced, you know, they, it, it does make you wonder are we is there some sort of actual physical connection that we have with people that's non-visible you know and if so what is that that's that's probably part of what consciousness is does that come straight from our genetics and our dna because what they found out from the triplets and twin studies was that way more um than they thought was um of like characteristics of the people was inherited they thought it would be like a, a bit was inherited and then most was environmental but like it was even things like these people all like the same colors they all had the same taste in women 
they all um like loved specific sports um and just everything like that and then but there was loads of other strange things about you know they would be finishing each other's sentences and everything and they'd grown up until they were they, i think they met when they met when they were going to college you know so like 20 something so they'd grown up all totally different and then they were still having um saying the same thing and they were also saying that they were having the same thoughts at the same time and one twin would go and say to someone something they've been thinking about and then the person would say yeah your brother already told me that mm. and like things like that and i'm like mm, is this all coded in our dna and genetics mm. is it coded from birth everything that's going to kind of unravel or is there some sort of communication that information arrives in one person and it's kind of broadcast between people and you know you it's like with family especially or a partner you are sad and affected when they are and i'm far away from my family but i still feel it mm. i still feel when there's something wrong and you know that's part of what i suppose intuition is but when you don't even really speak to that person how are you still feeling or is that just some sort of anxiety or like i suppose what i'm getting at here is is there something which can define intuition something we don't yet understand sorry the loud motorbike out there um is that intuition maybe some sort of communication between our cells our dna mm. genetics who knows what, what does it make you feel what does that make me feel yeah that that kind of that wondering that yeah. wondering is what does it make you feel it makes me feel um excited's not the right word i would say awestruck mm. is what it makes me feel Good. um that's what it makes me feel makes me feel it makes me feel um thankful to be alive it makes me think that the it makes me feel like the world is so amazing mm. and that we only and the body and the mind and it just makes me feel that we are just a tiny tiny drop in an ocean not even a drop in an ocean we are a grain of sand in a galaxy compared to the universe that's around and i think that everything everything that we understand about the universe now and the limits of of what's possible i don't think that any of that is real i think that i i strongly believe in multiverses i believe it's possible to time travel i believe it's possible to um bend space and time and anything that can be thought of and beyond is possible and so it makes me just feel it humbles me and it makes me feel like i know nothing mm. which is a good place to be because it drives my insatiable curiosity to find out stuff and it makes every day a pleasure because i absolutely love learning new things but i'm also i think i'm fortunate in the sense that i am happy believing several things about the same concept so i'm happy believing that it is true and it's not true and i don't really i i, I don't i suppose what i'm saying is i don't weigh anything as true or false because it's not nothing is really true and false and black and white everything can be stretched and pushed and bent and twisted and this can be true in 
contexts in in this certain context but maybe we haven't figured out the context in which it's not true and you know science does the work of building frameworks for us to understand things and physics and mathematics and physics is as true as it can be until it's proved wrong mm -hmm. and then there's obviously universal concepts which are thought to be universal and 100 percent true and unbreakable and maybe some of them are you know maybe there are certain things which we have figured out that are 100 percent never in no circumstance could possibly ever be not true um i don't know enough about <laughs> anything about mm -hmm. physics really but most things i think we're only at the basis very very basic level of understanding and even the brain we still understand that like relatively fairly little and something like consciousness which every single person everything alive has for all we know inanimate objects also have consciousness yet we don't even know what that is and that's like the fundamental underpinning of life and we still don't understand that and so i think it's like i think it's amazing to have all the possibility to discover new things and i think that one of the most important one of the most important things that's facing us at the moment number one is for people to open their mind to the new possibilities because i think that within our lifetime things are going to change so much that people will, will probably find it very difficult to keep up the rate that things will change and new information will come out about the past about the future about potentially about consciousness you know where we go when we die like things like that um and i think that it's going to be very difficult for people to take in a lot of the information but i also think that it's so our biggest challenge now is to focus on consciousness because we are developing artificial intelligence robots supercomputers quantum computing flying to mars you know all of these things which are all brilliant but as ai rises and becomes more powerful that will take away a lot of human tasks more and more and more and more even things like writing and probably there'll be an ai for podcasting where you just type in some information and it'll podcast for you but we need to focus on what separates us from computers and machines which mm -hmm. is consciousness and our ability for emotions and our ability to understand things in a non-logical way because computers understand things via logic algorithms yes no correct cortex. not prefrontal <laughs> cortex exactly um so we have to focus on what makes us different um and i think that that's why we have this movement back to yoga mm -hmm. meditation eastern practices mindfulness um all of these things which are like we have lost in in western society well most of the world have lost these practices and now it's kind of let's go back to these things let's go back to nature let's um regenerate let's think about what we're doing let's think about what we're chopping down let's think about where we're putting our waste try and develop a new way to live harmoniously with nature let robots do all the boring stuff basically um and the, the processing but we need to focus on creativity and and being and being 
and being. and being and just being happy is the wrong word to use but um just being 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 that's the goal and what you were describing thank you for sharing Sorry, that was that. a very very no. long answer to your simple question you well you saw my interest in here when we talk about different levels we go deeper and for me your sharing was deep And it was not just about what you know and what you think or what you wonder, but the wonder itself. Mm. When we see the borders and we feel connected, feeling small and feeling that we have part of nature and we are nature as well. And there's some things that the mind cannot understand or control and we let it go and we accept it and we connect with that sense of wondering mm. and just the intention, the aspirations of being in a better place for nature, for your life, for the world. Um, for me, that's spirituality, really. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, there's a couple of things there. One thing I forgot to mention was that, like, I, like, I love to dream and I love to ponder and I love to, I love to dream and to be ambitious and to think of what the future could be like and come up with business ideas and things like that. But one thing I, I learned was that, and I think that again, this is probably something that people should know is when you do dream about the future, your body reacts in a way as if it is true. So it's the same with anxiety. You know, if you think something bad happens, your body will react as if it's already happening and cause you anxiety. But if you think of something that's amazing, that's going to happen. So, In 10 years time, I will have a really successful podcast and, you know, my life will be amazing. Your body reacts in that way and you might feel really nice, but then you lack the dopamine that's needed to pursue that goal because your body has already acted as if it's true. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I used to do a lot. Dream, feel amazing because I'm dreaming all these things. And to me, they're, they're real. When I'm dreaming them, they're real. And like they're, they're they're real and then i don't didn't wasn't starting or doing anything because your body thinks you've already completed the goal <laughs> and so now i'm like i have to kind of limit the amount that i dream of the future because otherwise i can't do anything <laughs> i will include there just the kind of the three dimensions on when it's actually happening Just uh, going back to the example that we were saying, you can dream about that festival and being playing there and that's the dream and you are already kind of, oh, I don't have to practice. I already have that kind of intense uh, emotion that I will be seeking. But at the same time, you are missing the the backstage mm. <laughs> and what you are feeling in that moment. So real life is always better and the present is always better than the dreams that we may have. Mm. So of course it's good to dream and it's something that the mind has and it's amazing everything that we do the brain has is it's amazing it's just magical almost but to name it and to see this is a dream and then okay i can dream for a little while and then coming back to reality yeah what does it feel like to be alive now and how does it feel like to be planning to do a podcast on how does it feel like and then it will come or not, uh, something different may come and you may enjoy it, parts of it, 
and then some other parts will be difficult or hard, but you will, you will be learning from them. And what you said about the successful people that you have met that went through really difficult stuff, I don't think the difficult stuff made them successful, but it's about resilience. Mm, true. Because it either makes you or breaks you. Exactly. So we cannot control what's going to happen to us in some areas in life. You cannot control when some family member is going to die or if you're going to be I don't know, fired from a job or whatever. But then you can always go back to what am I learning about yourself in this situation? Mm. What am I learning about, your, about myself? What is the value, for example, that I'm never, no matter how bad I am in life right now, how much I am struggling, what is my pillar inside? Yeah, I'm gonna, sorry, yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> uh, are they opening or something? Are they coming in? Yeah, there's more people coming in now. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's everything you're you're saying is just focus on yourself. How am I feeling? How am I feeling? How am I feeling? How am I feeling? And um, it it reminds me of like these dreams of um, talking, dreams of you know when you're performing and it's going to be amazing. I think that like I was speaking to another girl, Sophia, who was also on the podcast, and she's a poet and. She was talking about how she loves performing and she's just so grateful that anyone will listen to what she has to say. Um, and because she said to me, oh, I like you must love performing. And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I feel nervous when I do it. it. Once once, you know, like when I perform here, I don't feel so nervous because I I know the place mm. and I know the like the, the person who runs it. And I know that people are nice. But, you know, when you perform new stuff, it's nervous. Sometimes I get in the flow when I'm on stage and I quite enjoy being there. But when I'm actually performing stuff, I don't particularly enjoy it, I don't think. And then afterwards you feel nice because it's like you get that reward of having put in loads of effort, done something that's uncomfortable, and then people are giving you nice feedback, which I think is, I think is healthy, I think. Because part of me, part of me thinks that am I chasing that nice feeling afterwards? But then part of me also thinks, well, when things make you feel uncomfortable, to me, I want to do that thing because I don't want things to make me feel uncomfortable. So it's like exposure therapy, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, do it. And that's the reason why I first got into performing. So I was like, if I can get up on a stage and perform, then I can do anything because that's like one of the most uncomfortable things you can do. And then it's like, make socializing comfortable, more comfortable, because it's like, you, you just go talk to someone, it's fine. But sharing a private poem on stage or whatever is uncomfortable. Um, but then it, it, it brought me on to thinking a lot about, um, when I, before I started doing it, it made me think a lot about narcissism, narcissism and performing um because it was making me think people that perform you perform and you want the praise because that is part of performing you know maybe there are some people who just want to get it off their chest um but ultimately the praise is sort of what makes it worth doing and then i'm like is it narcissistic to mm -hmm. perform because 
you are effectively focusing 100% on yourself, creating things often about yourself, performing them, and then waiting for praise about those things. That, to me, sounds narcissistic. What are your thoughts on that? Don't be too hard on yourself, please. <laughs> it's a very good point. Um, it depends. On if the person's a narcissist. <laughs> it depends, it depends. Um, where do you do it from? If you do it from, I just want the feedback. It's not narcissistic, but it's unhealthy. Yeah. So many people, that imagine if you are a classical musician, all your life you have performed for someone to tell you that's right or that's wrong. Mm. And then they are telling you, you are good or you are bad. So for me, there is uh, something important. When you have your identity into place and you are happy with your own values, with who you are, you are working through things, of course, but there is stability within and you feel inner solidity. And from that place, then that's like the anchor and that's mm -hmm. in a deeper place. And then the next level will be the emotions that we were talking about and the kind of the needs. I need people or I would like people to tell me that was a good job. Then that's fine. Mm -hmm. But the difference is when I feel and I think and I acknowledge I am, I am good. I am a good person. Yeah, so I'm going to put a very simple example. I am a good person. In general, I'm good. I can make mistakes. I take responsibility for them. But I am a good person. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to do a job, a task, performance, whatever. And then the performance can be good or bad. And if it's good, I'm going to have the praise and I'm going to welcome the praise. And I'm going to be, this feels amazing. Oh, this is cool. I did a good job. I'm happy. That was an effort. And you are going to be able to receive it, but it's not going to be like you are hungry for it. Mm. Because if it's bad, the performance, you're going to be, oh, that feels awful. I'm scared. I feel really tense. I ruminate for a little while. But deep down, I think I am a good person. Yeah. I did a bad job, but that's I am okay. a good person. So that's the difference. When... And that's why it's so important to separate identity, who you are, from what you do. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you are not going to put a lot of passion in it. It's going to be your main thing. But it's important to know who are you when you are not working? Who are you when you are not performing? Because if you have that sense of inner dignity, self-respect, some values and you are authentic and you enjoy caring for people or whatever, that's intrinsic. When mm -hmm. you have those values, you don't have to be uh, showing them or proving them all the time. You know you are that way. True. Yeah? Yeah. So you need you need that. Again, it's that, it's that sense of identity, that yes. sense of who you are without anything else. Yeah. Um, I suppose in my case, I feel, I feel compelled to do what I do. It's not like I want to do it. It's like I feel... I have to do it mm. and I feel like but I think that I, I that's what makes me think that it's probably not unhealthy in fact no I don't think it's unhealthy I don't think what I do is unhealthy because I think that I don't I don't need the praise but obviously it's nice and it was actually 
it was actually, I think it's been very healing for me in the sense of I used to always search for instant pleasure, you know, drink, drugs, sex, whatever, instant pleasure, instant gratification. And this is like doing poetry or performing is some of the slowest gratification because it might take a month to write a poem, then maybe perform it two weeks later. So from the moment you start, it's like six weeks until you get some feedback. And I think that's healthy. It's very um, healthy to and postpone it, it's, the reward. To postpone reward. And I think that it's actually taught me a lot about doing small little bits each day mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to do everything straight away. Um, and it's, I suppose, like a, I've tried to copy that into the rest of my life. Yeah, I've got these big dreams and goals and ambitions or whatever. But the way I have to keep reminding myself is, Connie, what, 60 years? Mm -hmm. 60 years, you know, maybe you can do one thing per year and yeah maybe you can do 60 cool things but there's no need to do 60 things in one year um even though i've written myself like 60 goals for the year but um, <laughs> i probably won't get all of those but it's um yeah no it's it's super interesting it's just it's so it's nice being in this community of creative people because you see lots of strange people <laughs> i'm like i like being around the strange people me because too. it makes me feel it makes me feel um, like I fit in somewhere. But also, mm -hmm. I suppose that we are similar in the sense of I love analyzing people mm -hmm. and I love it's the human aspect of everything that makes mm -hmm. me interested and the extremes of human emotion and where human experience can take you and the places you can go. And it, I just find it so crazy that the mind controls you without you really knowing what's going on until you develop a level of consciousness, mm -hmm. until you develop some understanding that you and your brain are not the same thing, that your brain is having all these processes going on in the background mm -hmm. and they're controlling you and your body's also controlling your brain mm -hmm. and it's going backwards and forwards and you're kind of like this little middle person that often has absolutely no idea about what's going on with either of those things. <laughs> you are literally just kind of like sat in this body that's just doing stuff that you're not aware of mm -hmm. and then as you start to learn to become a little bit more aware of it and separate these things life does become a lot easier mm -hmm. and you know realizing that you are not your thoughts you are not your thoughts and that so important when i when i when i found that out like two years ago shortly after that my incessant thinking stopped mm. and like something that i'd never had any like i never had any moment of peace ever from just racing thoughts where i had no control over those thoughts and no no understanding of it and then when i when it stopped and i had some moments of peace and there would be nothing in my head and i'd be like whoa like what the hell like this is something i've never experienced in like 27 years and then it, then it, it actually at first I was a bit concerned because I was like <laughs> have I just become really stupid like have I lost all of my brain power and then after a while like it did it freaked me out for a while because it's like why am I not thinking anymore like this must mean I'm like I've lost intelligence or something but then I realized wait a minute I have so much more energy for everything else <laughs> And then it was like, it was revolutionary. I was like, why did I not know this? That these thoughts going on in your head, they're not you. 
they're just you know they, they're your brain processing through things and also your brain sometimes firing stuff at you just to make you have a response because your brain likes to feel adrenaline so maybe your brain fires you with some anxious thoughts or it fires you with um something sad just to ex experience an emotion because you're like hooked on the feeling of bad emotions and so then it just creates this loop firing these things at you and i'm like okay but my brain's just doing that maybe because i'm tired or i'm anxious or i've had too much coffee or whatever that's not real and it's, it's like real. it's not real that's not me and judging people as well like you know when you judge people and you think something horrible about someone and then you feel horrible because you think that you are horrible because you've thought something horrible and then you realize like no that's just your brain just doing that that's not you that's not you as a person like you are a good person you are a nice person <laughs> but you might just be having these horrible thoughts just because maybe that's what you've heard everyone else say you know um and your brain is just replaying a thought about someone that's it's heard somewhere else i i said exactly that to my seven years old niece a week ago because she was worried about a thought she had and she was feeling guilty and she mm. couldn't identify what was going on and because she knows I am a psychologist and well she thinks I live in Hollywood I have mm. to say mm. <laughs> uh, and she was like I, I, am, I am bad because I had this bad thought and then I went through it with her and just like explained to her what thoughts were and emotions and everything else and then we were scanning together and then the kind of you had that thought but we you didn't do anything that was your choice mm. and no matter if you made a mistake even you are still a good person you acknowledge that was a mistake that is you yeah that is you. that's real and she kind of you know she rested a little bit and, and she was like oh auntie i really like this kind of tools and i said of course Mm -hmm. now you have the powers <laughs> yeah. it, it, it does feel a bit like a superpower when you start realizing these things and, and it just means that things just don't impact you in the same way because you're like oh well that's just my brain making up these thoughts um and like e even something really small that sometimes i used to wake up and or i still do and i'll be really angry mm -hmm. i'll be annoyed at someone in particular um or some stupid thing and that used to then play through the day and i wouldn't be able to get rid of that whereas now i wake up sometimes i'll be annoyed at someone and i'll be like oh you're tired you didn't sleep very well last night you're tired okay and then those thoughts stop because you're like i'm thinking this way i'm negative because i'm a bit tired so then because i'm tired my brain is just playing some negative thoughts um and my brain is just telling me you're tired your and boundaries you, are probably not so uh, big and they are you are more sensitive more yeah. whatever it's just a reaction and no wonder how can how can you oh when when you were little how can you go to sleep and just let all the thoughts stop if you think you are your thoughts mm, yeah you are just grabbing into your your identity if you think you are what you think then you are not going to want to stop thinking because that's that's you and it's scary it's like you stop existing in a way so it's really scary to even sleep to even fall 
I'd love to sleep. Yeah, and that that's why I think that's partly why I used to hate sleeping. Yeah. Um, well, that's probably exactly why I used to hate sleeping. Um, <laughs> but it's it's like you you are when you're thinking like this, you are just focused 100% on your thoughts, and I think that it becomes very destabilizing because you don't know who you are and you're identifying with these thoughts but when you're thinking loads of different things about you know loads of opinions about different things and thinking yes for this and no for this at the same time then it's like who am i mm -hmm. and you're thinking maybe you're in a really bad place and so you're thinking loads of horrible thoughts because you are feeling horrible and so your brain is just reflecting how you're feeling with horrible thoughts then you're like, I'm a horrible person because I'm thinking all these horrible thoughts. And then you have like a personality breakdown because you're like, who am I? Like, what's going on? Like, why all these thoughts? And then you're like, no, you're not your thoughts. Get yourself into a healthy state and you'll be okay. Mm. And it's like, oh, it's nice. So <laughs> what would your, what would you say to someone who is becoming a DJ or a musician and they are or a poet or anything like that and they are getting a little bit of success what would you say to them as like rosanna's toolkit for staying healthy and sane <laughs> i should have prepared that <laughs> since well, i have a lot of uh, touring hours um first i will say enjoy the present moment Present Embrace the present moment with everything, with the not so positive and with the success and with all the kind of emotions that you have. And also get to know yourself, what are your thoughts, your emotions, your values, your limits, your boundaries. Invest in that and be curious about what you don't know yet mm -hmm. without obsessing about it, of course. And take care of everything that connects you more with nature, with your animal part, with your human part, relationships, food, eating, um, sleeping, um, enjoying. So don't forget to, to have fun in your free time because sometimes in this industry, everything kind of is mixed together. So um, going out to a show to see some other promoter or whatever doing business, that's not entirely free time. <laughs> yeah. So, and tell yourself the truth. So, no matter if you are not doing so well or you are worried or not so sure or so safe, just be honest with yourself. Name what you are experiencing. Name mm. it for yourself. And when you are struggling with anything, share it. Because we have this tendency to just want to share the perfectionism part the perfect picture and that disconnects us from people so um, i just want um to encourage everyone to to be brave to share who they are but respecting their own boundaries so it's not about oversharing mm. and i tell everyone my traumas or it's just speaking with whom you feel comfortable and and ask people who are they feeling when you are touring when you are performing Okay. I would say that. Well, they are some wonderful tools. Um, and, yeah. So if we follow these present moment, present moment all the time, 
um, and enjoy yourself and share. So if we follow these, then people can rise up in a healthy, slow way, not necessarily slow, but a healthy way um, and experience success if that's what they would like to experience. But they need to be enjoying the success at the same time. Otherwise, it's not success, is it? Mm. It could be financial success. It could be success in the amount of um, records you sell. But it's not success if you are not comfortable and happy. Mm. Um, and so, how are you? How are you feeling? I am feeling really grateful to be able to have this kind of conversation. And I feel very connected in values with you. And I, I do feel part of this change in the world when we mm. share from this authenticity with just everything, with the difficulties as well and with what we struggle and um, the way that we just talk or perform or help in our small scenarios. Um, I feel this is part of the human experience. Mm. So, I think yeah. that it's an, I, I feel the same as you just so grateful to be able to talk to amazing different people like mm -hmm. yourself and to just talk about what's working, what's not, what are we learning? Because, you know, we only have a certain amount of time each day. And even if we stuff that time with learning, it's still not that much. Whereas if we can talk to people and they can say, oh, well, I've actually been listening to Huberman and I've mm -hmm. actually been listening to some other thing like what's the things you've learned from that and what have you learned from your your work and what have you learned from your work and then you share them and merge them together and that's you know that's the reason for this podcast it's the quest for wisdom like mm -hmm. where we want to find wisdom like ultimately <laughs> I think that to me wisdom is the is the goal and it shouldn't wisdom can't be a goal as such because it's a journey it's a process mm -hmm. and will constantly be getting wiser but that's what i like you know each day each day you're better equipped hopefully if you learn a little bit each day you're better equipped to deal with the day every day and if you keep learning keep moving forwards then you end up i just i always pictured myself and i've told this to many people that when i hit like 70 i want to walk around in a wizard's robe um, with a staff and I want to have a big long beard and wear a wizard's <laughs> hat and that's how I want to live my older life but <laughs> to be a wizard I have to be wise yeah. um, so I think that I'm, I'm like uh, earning my stripes hopefully just to be learning and get to that stage and then just be really wise and be like a grandfather or a, a great uncle or something and just be able to tell wise stories to my like tiny little grandchildren or grand nephews or whatever i think that it's just uh, it's so fun it's so fun to be able to do that i will hope that we get to have a, a podcast then yeah as well yeah yeah hopefully <laughs> in 60 and years time in 60 years time <laughs> and i think i think that even just the art of podcasting mm. has changed the world yeah because it's t it's taken it's allowed people to listen mm. to genuine conversations and i think that you know, in a two, three, four hour podcast, unless you're an amazing actor, you have to be quite authentic because, or a politician or something like that, you know, but you, it, your true self is going to show through. You can't keep it up for three or four hours in a, in a podcast like that of faking being someone you're not really. And 
I think that it's that authenticity. That's, I suppose, that's one other thing that I suppose is something that's so important for people that are trying to rise up in, in anything or any form of performing art is to keep some sense of authenticity because if you start trying to be someone else, that is going to be danger. Mm. <laughs> like, obviously, there are actors who play characters and that's okay, but the if you spend all your time where your where your actual self you is an act then you'll break down eventually and i think that being authentic and being okay with accepting your mistakes and i actually think it's so important to show mistakes because it's like okay i'm a mistake i'm human um i'm sorry this was wrong and i think that it's something that you know you can say what you want about cancel culture at the moment and maybe it's going too far um maybe it's not but one good thing that has come out of it is that people you, you see these really famous well-known people who are uh, doing public apologies for things and i think that that is a powerful thing to see it's like humbling okay this person like joe rogan had to do it for some comments that he made you know he's like the most influential podcaster in the world and he's there like i'm sorry i totally messed up on this these were really wrong comments um and it's like holding your hands up and it's like okay he's done that wrong maybe some people will hate him forever maybe some people will accept his apology but it shows that that is what people do that should do that's what politicians should do that is what leaders of anything should do um if they make a mistake you know they can own up to that mistake to own it own that mistake and own that it. is owning a mistake and being able to say no to things and being able to say yes and just all these little things of just makes you an authentic genuine human being um, that I think is what is inspirational when you see that in people and that is how you be a role model and I think that people that are in positions of power they are role models for certain people and I think that it's their responsibility to be as good a person as they possibly can because they're being influenced. And it, like, it always makes me really angry when sports players do really bad, horrible things, you know, and they're assholes. And I'm, like, not just sports players, but it tends to be those because they're very famous. Um, and then obviously they've become famous just from being good at a sport, which is what they like doing. And maybe they don't want to be famous, but they are. So obviously there's that human aspect, but it's like they are role models to so many young kids. And if they are seen doing bad things, that tells those kids that that's what a famous footballer does and that's okay. And it's like there has to be this high level of accountability for these really strong role models because that's what they are. And it, it should be like a bit of a prerequisite to if you're going to be playing for England or Spain in the football or rugby or whatever it is, you have to be a good person <laughs> and a good footballer because if you're representing this country, you know, like there can't be people that are going on there and saying racist comments and stuff like that on national TV and, you know, doing weird, horrible things because it's like that is not that shouldn't be acceptable no matter how good at what you're doing those are boundaries yeah those are the boundaries i don't think we can push anyone to be a good person but we can help them and just 
you know, to see how does it feel when you are behaving from your values and from your core values. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, if you are pushing someone to be a certain way just because of social pressure or whatever, it's not going to be real. It's not going to have an effect on on the real change. Mm -hmm. But if, for example, you just uh, say to someone, okay, you can be lying all, all your life, but then when you are saying the truth, how does it feel? How do you sleep? What effects does it have in your relationships? Yeah. Um, for me, it's more about helping them see in that way. And of course, we are in relationships with, with people. So if you do something that is bad for other person or society or whatever, then you are going to have uh, feedback mm -hmm. from it. And again, if we don't judge, it's much better. Because, yeah. yeah, you can say something that is really wrong or do something that is terrible. And no, we don't have to accept that. And at the same time, if we focus in how does it feel when you don't do that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, for uh, inviting people to just go to therapy, I always say, when many people ask me, how can I get my friend or band member or whoever to go to therapy? And you I say, well, you <laughs> go to therapy yourself. Ah. <laughs> and then when they are like, oh my God, that kind of reaction, how do you do that? I went to therapy. Mm -hmm. I used to struggle with anxiety or with whatever or with and I went to therapy and I feel much better. I'm happier with my life or I know myself better. Depending on your goal, you are gonna have one thing or another one in therapy. But yeah, just do it yourself and mm. then that's kind of contagious in a positive way. Yeah. When people are nice and it feels better to be nice <laughs> um and no you know, of course, with boundaries and respect and respect and everything else. But it's just it's going to invite other people to, to be that way. Yeah. Um, we are social animals. Mm. We need to be seen in a way. And if you focus all your life in just doing something instead of being, that's the result that you get. Mm -hmm. Or if your uh, maximum goal is, is consumism and have many things and be famous and rich because you learn when you were little that that was the, the quest for life, then you are not going to be a very nice person and also probably not very happy. Mm -hmm. You are not going to enjoy everything because enjoying life is not there. I'm 100% certain. Yeah. And are you... Um, yeah, what you said is all very powerful stuff that I hope people are taking on board. Go to therapy yourself. And it is, again, it comes down to this. You are, if you want to fix the world, fix yourself first. Mm -hmm. And then people will see you and, and then they'll naturally want to copy because they'll be like, oh, this person's doing amazing. What are they doing? Oh, maybe they're meditating. Oh, maybe they're uh, sleeping well. Maybe they've gone to therapy. Like, maybe I should do that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, because you effectively, you can't change anyone else. You can't force someone to go to therapy. You can't really... You can't impact someone else's life unless they're openly asking you to. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's sort of the mistake that people make. But you have to just, you have to sort yourself out first, really, don't you? And do you think you're in a good place? I feel I am in a good place. Um, it hasn't been easy. Mm. I have moved so many times. <laughs> I have changed my house and my things. I don't know how many times. 
And I used to struggle with anxiety when I was little for years and years and years. But in the end, I am grateful for everything that has happened in my life. And I'm still learning about myself. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to therapy and I'm still connecting with people and, and, and everything else. And of course, um, we carry as well a lot of stuff from our families. So yeah. the changes that are, we are doing in our lives often is something that comes from generations ago. Mm. So um, I'm happy with my task and, and with everything that I'm going through. And when I struggle, I know where I can go and what I have to do or what should I reinforce and yeah, some goals. But I feel nowadays I, I'm just really enjoying my, my path. I don't yeah. know what is the final goal, but I am enjoying my path a lot. <laughs> and I am meeting amazing people. <laughs> so it's just, and because I'm still open, when we met, it was that kind of a reaction. So I'm there in an event. I just had a panel before. I wasn't planning to go into the, to the event. And I was there. You were there. And I thought, oh, he, he seems bored. I'm just going to sit here and talk to him. <laughs> yeah, I was helping with the ticketing, so I was just kind of sat there by the door. Yeah. Um, and, and you came and started talking. I was like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> like a little conversation with someone. So that's the thing. So if I am working at a big festival and I, I came with the band or with whoever, or I'm part of the festival and I see a bouncer or someone at the bar, they seem whatever and I, I always talk to them mm. because it's really nice that's what makes me feel connected and treating everyone the same yeah i don't mind if you are cleaning at the festival or if you are headlining for me we are all at the same level yeah that's that's a lovely lovely way of putting it and it is nice that like it is nice because there are people like you who are out noticing when someone's not looking right and there's been many situations where i've always hated starting conversations with people if someone talks to me i will talk to them forever but i hate making that initial conversation but then it's nice that there are people like you who will see someone like me sat there bored like waiting for people to, to, to come and take their tickets um and then you you see that and you come over and start talking. I'm like, oh, this is so nice. It's nice <laughs> that there are people doing that because otherwise weird people like me would just be sat there not talking to anyone. Uh, when I was living in London, that was one of my favorite things. Uh, the awkwardness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the awkwardness. I I don't think we have a word for it in, in Spanish. No, because it's not very we have Spanish. To, yeah, like... we have to use like two words to, to describe it. So I, I, well, of course, when I moved to London, I couldn't speak any English. Mm. So at first I was just smiling and, and no much else. Uh, but then the kind of, I could feel when people were feeling awkward. Yeah. And then for me, it's so easy. And I love to be just like in touch with people and without forcing and of course respecting. Um, they may not even want to talk to me and that's okay. Mm -hmm. that's, that's fine as well. And if I feel rejected, I will go to a little corner, feel rejected for a little while, and then I will come back to do something else or to dance or whatever. But for me, it was, it was amazing because behind the, the awkwardness, there was this amazing human yeah. that couldn't talk to anyone because it was just difficult that first step. So, yeah, and with artists, that worked really well. So if you are very awkward and traveling around and you meet someone like me on the road somewhere, 
then it's kind of you know i i will start the conversation 100 percent. <laughs> yeah british people are so awkward i love it's england so... the UK, the <laughs> like there's something that when i stopped drinking and then i started realizing how awkward i was mm-hmm. and then i was like oh my god i'm so awkward and i was like paranoid about being awkward and then after a while i realized everyone like when i go to home anyway like everyone is so awkward and I think that's why people drink so much or, yes. well, either they drink so much because they're awkward or they're awkward because they drink so much. Both. And then they, it's both. And then they don't know how to communicate when they're not drinking. Mm-hmm. And, but then it's also the same in the creative scenes around here. Everyone is so awkward and it's, but it's great because it's like, you can all be awkward together. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I would always, it's always really nice when I've got a few friends who are like really outgoing. And it's really nice being with them if it's like the two of us and we're going around because they will start all the conversations, break all of the awkwardness away, and then everyone else can talk. Um, and it's really great having those people around. But, the, the, you know, the type of people that will just talk about anything and just be like walk over and be like, oh, the, the weather's warm today. And then just like start talking and just like make some <laughs> random conversation. But they make people feel comfortable yeah. because they're so like just outgoing basically and it's, it is really nice being around those people but yeah. it made me feel um when i started realizing that everyone's awkward it definitely made me feel better more connected more connected because mm-hmm. then i'm just like when people i think you you can often misread uh british people especially as not liking you um when in reality they're just uncomfortable mm-hmm. and so it's also like I, I i tend to overshare things and i will just tell everyone everything because i don't know I, that, that's just the way i am but then some people get so awkward about that because they don't know what to say and so now i try to be like more i try to think of it a little bit more before i speak um and especially doing a podcast i have to think before i speak because <laughs> otherwise people are just be like what is this maniac talking about <laughs> um which is which has been nice but yeah that like going up to people and trying to kind of evaluate that person a little bit and like trying to judge their reactions and tailor your conversation around that as to not overwhelm that person with too much information or be too rude or something like that but it's like that these differences in in culture and the differences is is very different and i noticed that Spanish people are, are very open in general. They're very chatty, very open. You should come to Sevilla. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been to Sevilla, yeah. People are just like so like, wow. And Latin America as well is the same. Like people, people are like that, but English people are definitely much more closed. Even with performances as well. Like when I perform in England, it's much harder to make people laugh. Way harder. And also people are way less complimentary um and if they are complimentary afterwards they are very awkward unless they're drunk whereas if i perform (laughs) here loads of people will come up afterwards and they'll be like really kind and say really nice things and in england hardly anyone does that um which is i suppose it's just cultural differences isn't it and i suppose what people are used to but at first it was like a bit I was just like, oh my God, everyone hates me. Everyone hates me. <laughs> everyone thinks, oh shit, this is horrible, like performing. And then no one's making any sound. And I'm like, oh God. And then sometimes people come afterwards. But that's one thing that I didn't 
mentioned before was that that praise that you get that's something that is very uncommon and and it's quite difficult to get used to like when people first started coming up to me although it's nice hearing praise it would make me so uncomfortable when people like oh my god that was amazing like that's so good i loved that and i'll be there like dying on the inside like because i don't know how to react to that and i I didn't know how like what you say like oh thank you um and then someone said to me just copy what girls do because women are so good at complimenting each other and, and receiving it like oh you look so nice today oh thank you so do you and then i was like oh okay when people compliment you just say thank you and if they've performed as well and you liked what they did comment on something about that as well and then i started doing that and i was like this is actually easy it still makes me feel uncomfortable but then i suppose that's only a really small level and it brings it back to this this thing again if there's thousands and thousands of people screaming at you and you are there because of them and, and because you want the praise but then you cannot stand it yeah it's, like, it's, it, it's, it's, it's really weird. weird yeah it's like every time i think about it i'm like why am i performing <laughs> but then no like i it's i know it's i know it's good and it has changed my life in so many ways and i do love it and i do i i love it but hate it at the same time i suppose it is a little bit like exercise you know like yeah. i love exercising the thought of exercising is often not nice when i'm doing it i'm like really happy with myself and it makes you feel really good and it's mm-hmm. a healthy reward um but i suppose i suppose it is like that you know and it's but yeah i suppose it would as i become less as i become more comfortable i imagine i will enjoy it more because at the moment it feels like work um and it is work i suppose because it's a lot of effort to do it um but then as it becomes more comfortable it becomes more relaxed then it becomes more fun like meditation like meditation and like exercise Mm -hmm. like the first time you go running is every step is painful and hell and then after a pandemic just trying to go running (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) but um yeah when you receive a praise from the outside i feel it's important to 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 just check where is it landing is it in your thoughts about yourself is it in your emotions like feeling grateful or really tense or, or whatever or it's just like are you receiving it and feeling grateful for it because that will be a deeper place but i can understand completely um when i when you were saying that i was thinking yeah i should check that on myself as well because it, in a festival in in autumn i received um an award i wasn't expecting it and it was mm. really nice because it was from people i really care about and was female in the music industry in the my favorite conference mm. in Spain and and I felt so moved. I cried on a stage mm. and everything and I thought, yeah, I'm gonna show my emotions. And at the same time the first thing I said I to my friends and then also in public and then when I was in my house even I was this is very meaningful for psychology in music. So I was kind of putting a screen between the award or the recognition and myself i was like oh this is for psychology in the music industry and i'm so happy i'm so proud i'm so happy for the industry to have this space there but at the same time i was like am i really avoiding to receive that this is a nomination that they did to me to me to Mm -hmm. what i do (laughs) and yeah i think i struggled a little bit with that 
as well. It's easier to receive critic criticism. Yeah, because we are be. more we are more used to it than True. to just be seen in you did something well and you did something different. Um and I see your efforts. So see how different you did a good job and you are great or you have this value and I see you there. And yeah, it feels it's it, yeah, it's it's strange. It's good to scan. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I noticed there's something that I always used to do. If someone complimented me, I would bounce it. Mm. So they would say like, Oh, um you're like that 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 poem you did was amazing. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, um, well I that's something I've been working on for a month. Um or something like that. And that's not it's not really an appropriate it doesn't make sense like it you're doesn't not enter it doesn't <laughs> enter and it's not really responding to what they're saying because that's not the response for that's good you say oh thank you or mm. i'm glad you liked it mm. or something like that but it bounces off but then it would also lead me sometimes to sounding really arrogant which is the opposite of what i'm feeling and the <laughs> opposite of what i want but i'd say something just stupid answer like oh, that was amazing what you did. And like, oh yeah, like it was actually quite easy or something like that. Like that's not even true. And just yeah. like, so just like bouncing off, it makes you, the person then on the, is like, what? Right? And I used to do it all the time and bounce off and these things. And afterwards I'm like, why did I say that? Imagine if we could just say, um, oh, this is nice, but it makes me feel so nervous when I receive a compliment. Yeah, yeah. That would be even, you know, more yeah. authentic in a way. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, now I'm going to shake for three minutes and yeah, I will yeah. get back to you with an answer <laughs> yeah. just after that. Yeah. That's what I like, <laughs> that type of thing. I um, Because there, there has to be, like, with self-deprecating a bit like that, there has to be, sometimes people will get on stage and then they'll be really rude about themselves and say, like, you know, I'm so rubbish and all these things. And in comedy, it's common to take the piss out of yourself you know and i think that there has to be a little bit of a balance with that um there has to be a strong balance with that but what i do quite like is when sometimes people get on the stage and they'll say i'm so nervous mm -hmm. um because it shows to everybody else maybe there's someone in the audience that is thinking about performing one day but they're too scared because they think that people get on the stage and then it's all just fine and then it's really nice, I think, when people are like, I'm so nervous, mm -hmm. because then it might give someone else the motivation to say, oh, okay, well, she's nervous. That's mm -hmm. fine. I'm not weird because I'm nervous. And maybe they'll get on. And I think that this, like, this level of, again, authenticity, I think is it, it's, it can be so encouraging for people mm -hmm. to be like, look, I'm doing this, okay, but it's not easy. Um, but I'm trying my best and we feel these feelings and if you do it you're probably going to feel nervous as well and that's fine but you won't feel nervous forever um, and we feel nervous about the stuff that we care about yeah and so, sometimes the things that are the most important and we feel more stress about the difficult conversations with people we care about mm, yeah 100% so um, again what you were saying about the exposure mm -hmm. something that feels difficult okay why does it feel difficult i really care about this person so just a very simple example when we have to set up boundaries to a friend very close friend 
and we are scared that they are gonna not like it or reject it or get angry at us. So the first mechanism may be, I'm just not gonna say anything. Yeah. Yeah? But what's the risk? If I don't say to a friend, look, um, if I really care about a friend and she asks me, I want to talk to you today, I had a really bad day. And if I am scared of saying no, I'm gonna say, okay, let's talk. Mm -hmm. Maybe I, I'm joining. I'm joining, or whoever you said. Um, and I oh, I can seem really bored or like I'm not paying attention, but I had six sessions with like, patients today and I'm mm. tired and I have my period and I, it's not, I'm not in a good state for listening in that moment. But if I connect with, I really care about my friend, I really, really care about this relationship. And for me, it's difficult to set up boundaries, mm -hmm. but I'm going to try to do it because I really want to have a healthy relationship with this person and I connect with my I want to connect with my authenticity as well so I can just say hey I think this is a really important matter and I really care about what you are feeling now but today has been a long day uh, I don't think I am in the right state of mind for listening to you properly yeah so what about if we talk tomorrow, we can have lunch or, or whatever. So that person on that day, maybe they will call someone else or they would have another tools. Trust that person. They have skills for surviving <laughs> to feeling angry. Mm. Yeah. And then the next day when you are with that person or another time where you are talking about something, they are going to know that you are there because you want to. Yeah. Because if you don't want to, you are going to be really authentic and connecting with that boundaries and capacity to listen to your own body and emotions and say actually no I'm not coming to that show or oh, yeah yeah today I'm here because I really want to so just to be there because you really want to because you are there because you care mm. and because you trust their capacity to handle their own emotions and you can say and I'm sorry if this makes you feel whatever That's yeah passion. yeah it's it's these it's these interactions where it, it's having the right vocabulary to be able to explain to someone, because if that person's reaching out to you, they're probably in a vulnerable state. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to explain it to that person in a way that they're going to 100% understand. Because if you just say like, no, sorry, not today, they're probably going to think, oh, she hates me. She doesn't give a shit. Mm -hmm. Just doesn't want to listen to me. And it's like, no, it's, it's about explaining it in a way that they're, anxious mind can't misinterpret you know like and allow them to misinterpret as well but the trick with that again going back to feelings mm. when you are able to name your feeling i feel even if it's tired overwhelmed today then you are owning you are sharing what you are feeling and you are not talking about the external situation you are talking about yourself and you are opening in a different level and if you name as well what they are feeling, I'm sorry that you are feeling that way, then you are connecting in that level, the limbic area, the chest, the belly, what you feel within. And communication is easier. Don't try to over-explain because then the conversation can get messy. <laughs> yeah, true. If you are trying to convince someone and they're like, I don't care, I'm just angry or I'm just sad. Mm. I'm sorry that you are sad. That's more important than the understanding. True. 
Yeah. True. I saw a, a psychologist a couple of years ago and he gave me an emotion wheel, ah, that's which I'm my sure favorite. you're familiar with. My favorite um, second session for everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it's, is it five or six main emotions in yeah. the middle? Um, so do, do you know what they are? I mean, uh, there, are, there are lots of different ones. The, the one I have in English actually has a million of uh, different options. England has a lot. English has a lot of And the one that I have in Spanish is just like a, like a flower. And yeah, kind of, you know, anger, sadness, happiness, it's all that. So the main thing with emotions is they start with two main uh, movements. Mm. Either I am attracted to something or I am rejecting something. Okay. Happiness, enthusiasm, uh, love, whatever you feel, you, you want more of that in a way. Mm -hmm. You feel motivated to get closer to that person or element or thing. And then when something is scary or makes you angry, yeah, in a way you are kind of pushing back. And ah, from there, that is everything else. <laughs> yeah, because the one I've got is in Spanish and it's, I think it's five. It's this one, on yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> they post, someone posted it, I'm just going to put it out. It's like, uh, I think it was like r rage, I'll show you. sadness. In the middle. Um, yes, yeah, just, I. Someone posted it from one of the classes this uh, from Thursday. Aki. Oh, my one's a little so bit. It's, my one's more like an actual wheel, but ecstasies <laughs> with this enthusiasm, admiration, terror, um, to be surprised, sad, um, hate or sadness or anger, um, and being vigilant, alert. Yeah, that's kind of. It's kind of the main ones, but yeah, like happiness or trust, all mm. that. They come, come. It's it's really nice to have just something visual. Yeah. To check what are you feeling and and just to name it because that gives gives the prefrontal cortex access to the limbic area, direct connection. Yeah, and I just just knowing they existed. I think the my one had six on the middle, and then they split into each of those split into two. Yes. And then each of those split into two. Yeah. So you would end up with like uh, 40, I think. Yeah. Um, I will send you the English of, one. Yeah. You're going to love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then so there's about 40 on the outside, like the outside rings. Um, no, 40 in total, sorry. And then just having that there and then just realizing, okay, actually, let's just use vocabulary and explain the the specific thing I'm feeling yeah like what is my feeling about this like well I'm annoyed but I'm also sad yeah at the same time because it can come from a different section of the wheel it's yeah. like okay I'm annoyed I'm sad or I'm I'm surprised surprised it could yeah. be a lot of them and then just knowing that those different ones exist and then you can start thinking about what you're feeling because anger I found is anger is usually there's usually emotions behind the anger mm. i find that anger is like the anger is the result of other emotions mm. that come before that so like you feel rejected mm. or you feel scared maybe or you feel um hurt and then anger comes after that mm. you know it's it's the result of these other things so it's like you need to really understand the the real mm. thing you're feeling mm. that's making these causing these reactions 
naming everything that you are feeling within. And it can be mixed together. It can be one thing first, the other one. And if you just notice how when you are focusing in that, you have been for a long, kind of a while, not even thinking about what, what was going on in the outside. Mm. then you are turning the attention within and you are like, actually, that was the situation. But this is my inner reaction. And what is going to be easier, in a way, to handle? Mm -hmm. The external situation or what is going on within? True. If we have the tools, of course. True. Yeah. Um, right, we're going to wrap it up here. I'm going to ask you one final question. Yeah. Um, but I know that you have things to do today. I could talk to you all day. You're very... <laughs> I'm really enjoying this conversation. But we are going to do this in 60 years. So. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> we have a date. We'll, we'll hopefully get you. We'll hopefully get you before the 60 years mark, Definitely. maybe for another one. <laughs> um, but before we finish, I'm going to say, um, this is the Quest for Wisdom podcast. What are your words of wisdom for the audience? Hmm. Silence. <laughs> By silence, you mean meditation, right? <laughs> yeah. I will say you have everything you need within yourself already. Already. Mm -hmm. that's, um, that's an amazing piece of wisdom. And it's strange you should say that because um, for my birthday two years ago, one of my good friends... Um, he wrote me a card. He's from Colombia and he wrote me a card and he said, um, what, yeah, so it said the big, like, it's, it's a quote from Plato and it's like, the beginning of any journey is the most important and the most courageous. I think I've ruined that. But mm. then, he, then he also said, remember, everything is within you. Mm. Um I just ruined that Plato quote. Sorry, Don't every, worry. Sorry, everybody. I like your version um, better. That was said, a yeah, very good remix. Remember that everything is, is within you. Um, so that's a lovely reminder of that. Mm. And that's a lovely word of wisdom. Everything is within. Um, and also, before we finish, I have one little present for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> now I'm going to name my, my emotions I feel. <laughs> Enthusiastic. <laughs> oh, enthusiasm. <laughs> Oh, it is a plastic bag. It's no. from Tesco. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was. <laughs> it is oh a Quest for Wisdom T-shirt. Oh, oh, I love it. <laughs> so we could, so we could be matching. We're gonna wear it now. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, it's been amazing to have you on, and give me a hug. Yes. Oh. Oh. <laughs> That was amazing. Um, thank you, everybody, for you. this. Goodbye. Wave at the camera. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Quest for Wisdom podcast with your host, Connor Monaghan. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to support the show, then please like it, subscribe, and leave a review on whichever platform you are using. This small act is a massive help and is hugely appreciated. You can find more information about all of our guests on thequestforwisdom.com and follow us at thequestforwisdom on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter for exciting updates. We also have a Patreon account for anyone who would like to contribute towards the running of the show. Finally, 
I would like to thank the Comedy Clubhouse in Barcelona for allowing us to record here and for their ongoing support. If you are ever in Barcelona, make sure to check it out for daily shows of comedy and performance art in English. Farewell for now. Thank you.